0: If you've got a busy schedule, it can be hard to get all your nutrients on the go, which is why I have been so excited to discover Organifi. Organifi makes it easy to fill your life with more nutrition using delicious superfood blends. Just add a scoop to a glass of water or your favorite beverage to energize and nourish your day with carefully selected vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. In the afternoon, instead of reaching for caffeine or a sugary snack, I grab the Organifi Red Juice, a delicious superfood punch that increases energy without the caffeine and only two grams of sugar. And my favorite is the Organifi Gold. It has turmeric and it's a delicious treat that also helps me sleep better you can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods for less than $3 a day. Go to www.organifi.com backslash best of you and use code best of you for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com backslash best of you and use code best of you for 20% off any item. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Best of You podcast. I can't believe we are already into December and as this year winds down, I have a favor to ask of you. I'd be so grateful if you would take two to three minutes to fill out a survey we've designed. It's called the Best of You podcast survey, very creative title, and we're gonna give three randomly selected participants a free copy of my new book, The Best of You, as our way of saying thank you to you for taking just a couple of minutes to fill out the survey. Here's the thing, we want to hear from you. I am passionate about getting these resources to you for free every week to help you in your life. I want this to mean something to you and to be helpful to you. And in order to do that, I need to hear from you. So please take two to three minutes. You can do it right now. Go to the Best of You podcast survey link. It's in the episode notes of this episode. It's also on my website, drallisoncook.com backslash Podcast. It'll take just a few minutes, two to three minutes max, to fill out the survey. We'd be so grateful to hear directly from you on how to make sure this podcast is providing you with real help you can apply in your everyday life. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Best of You podcast, where today... We are going to talk about the hustle. And by the hustle, what I mean are those parts of us that produce, perform, work overtime to get the job done. These are the task managers, the productive parts of us. And going into Christmas, I know so many of these parts of us are in overdrive. We've got the list, we've got the goals, we've got the vision, and we are going to get the stuff done. We are the go-to people, and we know how to get it done. And to talk about these productive, these producing parts of us, I asked my friend, I have known Rebecca since we both lived in Washington, D.C., right out of college. So I don't know, is that, I don't want to age us, Rebecca, is that 25 years or more? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so my friend Rebecca is a trauma-informed leadership coach, a psychotherapist, and she's the host of a podcast called The Unburdened Leader Podcast. And for those of you who have been listening in or who've you've read my first book, Boundaries for Your Soul, we have actually not talked a lot about internal family systems on this podcast yet. But Rebecca is also trained in internal family systems in IFS, so if you've read my first book, you're well aware of what we mean by unburdened and by this parts model. If you are not familiar with that language, tune in because I'm going to do a whole series on it in the new year, but... Her podcast is just a beautiful podcast where she interviews all kinds of leaders about how to lead from a place of calm, a place of clarity, a place of curiosity, an unburdened place. We're trying to get out of that pressurized place and into clear, calm, unburdened leadership. And so she is someone who practices what she does teaches. She tries to live and model all the things she talks about. And as I know, because I've known you a long time, you've come by that the hard way, just as I've come by everything I've learned the hard way. I mean, when it comes to hustle, when it comes to productivity, I knew you back in the day. You knew how to get the job done better than anyone. So this unburdened leader, this, this place to which you have arrived now, you've come by the hard way. And I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Thanks for being here, Rebecca.
1: Oh, I am so thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation, Allison.
0: Yeah. So I want to just kind of hit the ground running with an early memory of, and I'm calling it hustle. Does that word hustle resonate with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Grind, hustle, you know, work. Just, yeah, the grind culture. Yeah. The doing. Getting it done. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, it it is producing, it's performing, but it's just that kind of grind. That's a good word because there's a attention to it you know there's an edge to it in a way when we are in that task mode so what's an early memory of hustling of producing now i know hindsight is 2020 so at the time you might not have realized what yeah. you were doing but what's a memory of when you started to operate in that way
1: yeah so i almost want to back it up a little bit cuz i have some like there's a memory but there's some influences as i was thinking about our conversation and one of the biggest memories and in early influences, believe it or not, if you know me, I love pop culture, and so movies and TV and magazines were a thing back in the '80s. That <laughs> the, so I would, I was really drawn to the female archetype who was kind of like she was smart, she was hardworking, she worked her way to the top. You know, she didn't need anybody. You know, and that really was indicative of. What I was going through at the time, I mean, parents had a very conflictual marriage and it a three-year marriage separation during my middle school years (laughs) ended in divorce and there was a lot of abuse and conflict and chaos at home and so there was this i was really drawn to this 80s archetype you know the the shoulder pad suits the (laughs) slicked back hair she didn't need anybody and then usually there was like a like a michael j fox character that would come in and melt her heart and it was like you know kind of gross all of the tropes you know that i breathed in but there was something that felt like oh If I don't need anybody and I just work and I have money and power, I can escape what I'm feeling and still have this recognition. I can have freedom. I can have choice that there's something about watching some of those archetypes at a young age that burned kind of into my psyche combined Hmm. with growing up in the Protestant work ethic and then kind of in Minnesota where I grew up on steroids was, it was so in the air. I breathed in, you work, like no exaggeration. You get up and you shovel the snow in below zero weather and you scrape off the ice on your car and, you know, turn the car on. and, And when it's still dark, like that was just what you did you know we would ski i mean i know you grew up in cold weather too so there was just so there was those two influences mm. and i say this with humility but also a sense of pride once i realized i had a brain like i was gifted with a brain and also was good at sports and so at a young age i realized oh there was something about this kind of comfort that i realized of getting good grades and being in the honors classes or being on the sports teams and performing well and producing the results Mm -hmm. that calmed the pain that I was feeling. And so it was this thing everyone praised, oh, you got the home run, you got the high test score, you know. And I had a shadow side too, because there was this sense of if I didn't ever meet a hundred percent, I had failed. Mm -hmm. So then I would try and produce more and work more and perform more. Mm -hmm. But it was chasing this idea that these results, these ways of doing and being would help separate me from the immense kind of discomfort and loneliness and pain that I was sitting with as a kid. And then as we got into high school and then college and discovering my interests and passions, it only just kind of was just like putting oil on the fire you know fuel on the fire mm-hmm. of performing because you know as we mentioned at the beginning of the show got into politics and that's just a place where like my wardrobe in DC was suits and workout clothes i had no casual wear <laughs> you know it was like yeah,
0: my, that's the like, metaphor right there
1: <laughs> right there i mean it was like we'd go to work and then you'd go to some sort of function that you got an invitation to with happy hour and you meet up with your friends but it was usually some work networking mm-hmm. or an event and then you go home, maybe go to the gym at night or in the morning, depending. And so, yeah. So I think there was just that piece and then it just fed on itself because, and then, you know, as I got older, getting sick was seen as weakness. And if mm-hmm. I wasn't producing, that was like a moral failure when my mm-hmm. body was tired and I judged others too. So there was this sense of just going and going mm-hmm. because I, if I wasn't producing, if I wasn't, you know, pushing myself and achieving these goals, then I'd have to sit with what I was feeling. And that wasn't very fun.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it worked to some degree in the sense of, especially early on, maybe in those middle school, high school years when it, there's a lot of chaos at home, hard to make sense of that, that, that escape almost of, Getting that achievement, you know, pushing yourself into sports. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't an entirely unhealthy outlet, is what I'm getting at.
1: Well, it was better than drugs. It <laughs> was better than drugs. It was better than like, you know, sleeping <laughs> around. But I, I guess nobody knew me. And I don't know if I knew me, but I knew how I was supposed to be. Tell me more about that. Were you
0: aware of feeling that at the time, feeling alone, even while you were
1: in the grind? Well, sh- I, I don't know how much I think I was aware of okay, I'm smiling, but I don't feel like smiling, but this is what we're supposed to do. You know, wow. I was, you know, cheerleader, captain of the cheerleading squad, you know, and I'd be doing, and I mean, I'd get excited, but inside I'd have this constant ache and it was just the burdens I was carrying. And I, and again, I love people. I loved community. I love team things. I, Loved gathering, you know, and have. I was, I would host the parties, you know, and those kind of things. I, I love all of that stuff. And I think the world says, well, you know, it could have been worse. And I, sure, but I was breathing in the whole performance. So, like, I guess I'm saying, but at the time, sure, it looked like it worked. Like, oh, wow, you get good grades and you did things with your career and you achieved these things. And oh, Rebecca, you do so much. Yeah. But at what cost? Mm. And so, and while I have some really great fun memories. I still, I'm like right now in like a massive rewiring my nervous system and what it means to rest and to Mm -hmm. downshift and to not be moving towards achieving. I mean, I don't think I'm going to check out of that ever Mm -hmm. because that was so connected to my safety and to my identity and to my belonging.
0: Yeah. When did you begin to realize
1: that consciously,
0: right? In hindsight, again, you're like, there was a cost. There was an ache. I knew it. But when did you begin to consciously realize I've got to change something?
1: Well, you were there for that moment, (laughs) Allison and DC, and you and I were coming back from a late dinner and we were mugged. And I remember you got jumped first and then I jumped on the guy that jumped on you and then the other guys jumped on me and... (laughs) <laughs> I'm laughing because it feels so surreal. And then I remember I heard this wild noise, and I realized it was me screaming. And I then I heard your voice saying, "Just let them have it," and realized they just wanted our backpacks. They didn't want to hurt us, so I, I relaxed so they could pull my backpack off. And they ran, end up going to the hospital because I'd smashed my knee in the struggle. And I walked or kind of limped on crutches into my therapist's office. I had just started therapy and my therapist looks up at me as I enter the door on the crutches on my crutches and smiles and says, Oh, it's nice to see you leaning on something. And I was like, Oh, and I had, I wanted to cuss her out. I was Mm -hmm. so angry at her. (laughs) And then at work, I was working for a Senator at the time I kept getting up on my crutches and going to talk to staff and, every you know, moving around. Everyone's like, Rebecca, mm-hmm. you don't have to come to our office. Sit your butt down mm-hmm. and heal your knee. Like people were getting mad at me. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to let this get me down. Mm-hmm. I have to keep showing I, I can do this. I kind of, I got to, there was no downshifting. So that was the beginning of an unraveling that, you know showed up over the next couple of decades, for sure. But that's one. That's a big, when you asked that question as we were prepping for this call, it was like, it was, that, yeah. it was that moment.
0: A recent survey found that seven in 10 parents get an average of just three hours of sleep a night in their baby's first year. Moms, you deserve to have quality sleep. And I know one thing that will help. It's Cozy Earth. You can discover the secret to better sleep with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use code BEST OF YOU for 35% off at cozyearth.com. Cozy Earth bedding products are crafted with temperature regulating technology that adapts to your body's needs through all phases of motherhood. And they use only the very best fabrics, materials and weaves offering superior softness that invites you to sink into a world of comfort. The best part is Cozy Earth stands by the quality and longevity of their products. Enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all purchases. They're built to last through the hardest days and the longest nights. Treat yourself to ultimate comfort with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code You for an exclusive 35% off. The luxury she deserves. Cozy Earth. Getting high-quality food and household essentials delivered right to my doorstep, whether it's my favorite Dave's Killer Bread, incredible wine, or seventh-generation cleaning supplies has been a game-changer for me. I love that Thrive Market only allows trusted, top-quality ingredients while restricting thousands of harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high-fructose corn syrup, and more. And with just a few clicks, I can filter out ingredients that I don't want, like gluten or high-sugar content, making it so easy to find the items I need for my family. Best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one for one membership matching program. You join, they give. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com best of you for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T H R I V E slash best of you. slash best of you. I want to pause on it for a second because I've never told that story on this podcast. And there's a couple of things I want to tease out. I mean, first of all, I don't think I realized at that time that you had started seeing a therapist. It was before therapy was really normative in a way. And it wasn't something that we all did. I mean, we knew about it. We kind of knew about therapists. It was sort of on the front end
1: of it. Yeah, I've been in and out of therapy most of my life just with like family Like we did group therapy and my parents, you know, brought us to therapy when they were divorcing. So for me, it was, I mean, I pretty much saw how I didn't want to be a therapist through almost all of the therapists I had up until the one in D.C., which she worked out of a church. So I wanted to see someone with a faith-based orientation that was important to me. I never had done that before. And that was a beautiful that was a beautiful gift. So yeah, I already had that. And it was across town from where I worked. So I had to get on the metro and go across town and then go up a hill. So I ended up taking cabs to see her because I couldn't I couldn't get there on time on my lunch break, <laughs> you know, if I had to do it on my crutches. Well, it's interesting because I just realized, again,
0: we've known each other a long time, but so I grew up in a very sort of Christian culture that would have seen going to a therapist as a little bit outside, like you, right. And so I'm interested, like, I don't think I had realized that for you, that had been more a part of the norm and you, you knew you needed help. And that was something that had been part of your, it hadn't been necessarily that effective potentially. Cause I always like to ask people on this podcast, you know, every time I ask somebody, you know, when you reached out for help, what was the result? I get mixed. Some people are like, I I had a terrible experience with a therapist or I had a great experience with a therapist. So I like kind of bringing that to the surface because it's. I think it's important for people to realize that just going to a therapist isn't necessarily the fix. It's finding the right person to come alongside you. So this is a little bit of a tangent. I want to back up for just a second because through this experience of the achieving and the ache and and the loneliness and kind of knowing there was this disparity, there were some people coming alongside of you at some point, but it wasn't necessarily helping. Is that correct?
1: I think I would say, too, one one of the gifts that if, if there's something that I wanted or knew I needed, I just went for it. And I don't know how conscious it was. It was just like there's a gap in my life, so I need to figure out how to fill the gap.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I've just, I from a young age, I don't know if it's just, You know, I've got a parent who is an entrepreneur and, you know, you kind of get scrappy and you figure things out, but there was just this sense of knowing and looking for more. I've always been hungry for what's more, what's better, what's different from a young, young age. And then if I saw something that was an injustice, like the therapist that saw my whole family, when we were, my parents were divorcing and he would get mad at me for being mad. And I remember I slammed the door and I, one of his pictures fell and he like yelled at me about that. And I had so much joy that I got to him. And I just remember that too. Like, but I, I think, you know, if I saw an injustice, I wanted to better it. You know, there was always this sense of improving. I had to improve Mm. everything, myself, my environment, others, but I was also the one, particularly in high school and middle school that people would come talk to Like no surprise. It was like, you know, (laughs) they would come talk to me all their questions about boys and relationships and all the things, even though I would, I was like friends with everyone. I wasn't really in a serious relationship, but I was the Mm -hmm. go-to. And so there was this, this sense of wanting to learn, to better, to grow, to be different than what I was seeing at home. I knew, I knew early on that what I was being taught wasn't the way. And so when things were ineffective, I ended, you know, there is a sense, you know, I did end that. So I hadn't thought about it that way. And even if some of the therapists weren't helpful, like I remember in second grade going to a group there, like family therapy session and my parents listing all the drugs they were using and substances they were using. And then they dropped me back off at school. And I remember sitting in this room, the classroom waiting for everyone to come back from recess going, what just happened? And like, oh my gosh, that was horrible. So yeah, it took me a while. But this wonderful woman in DC, you know, she had just this beautiful integrative approach to with clinical and theological approach and just presence. And yeah, so when I walked in on crutches after our mugging, that was the time I started to realize I couldn't just push through. I could stop and feel and heal what happened And
0: she had the trust with you to say what she said. It wasn't the first session when you walked in. And, you know, there was that trust and that safety there. (laughs) What's interesting, Rebecca, and again, I want to zoom back to this mugging, but I'm learning about you as a friend and in our friendship, even thinking about your relationship with therapy where you and I, we both have this sort of hustle, productivity, you know, get the job done part of us. But it manifests very differently and even even in your relationships with therapists, I, I'm i going to call it, and you can correct me on this, but I, I'm thinking about the fight-flight response. And it's like, you'll go into fight mode. Even with that oh. early therapist, right? You're like, I'll go. Man, I've got fight. I'll go to the therapist. I'll get there. I mean, I had to. My parents drug me. you know, But there was that a little bit of fight, like, or I'll leave, or I'm happy if I get to yeah. him. And then in the mugging, that's kind of where I'm kind of circling back to. There was that fight response. Man, I'm going to protect my friend. And what's fascinating, I have much more of that flight fawn. So, I would never have gone to a therapist. You couldn't have paid me to go. I was halfway through my doctoral training to become one. And I was like, no way, no way. So my way is to, you know, kind of avoid or I I fight through fleeing, right? I, I go the opposite direction. So actually, it's interesting because so my protective strategy is I won't protect myself with someone who's not helping me. So I just won't go near them. I won't give anybody a chance. I'll keep everybody out. That's how I protect myself. Whereas you would go in and if it if it got bad or, you know, if it wasn't helpful, you would speak up a little bit more. And that's an oversimplification. But I want to zoom in on that mugging moment because that sort of is where, you know, Pretty just for of my personality. Well, but yeah, both of our responses, if you think of that survival, that nervous system response, yeah, yeah. I I remember vividly, I could tell, I think both, I don't remember if you did, I remember thinking, oh, this doesn't feel good. We're walking. I was like, oh, this isn't good. I felt it. I just collapsed. I don't even think I screamed. I mean, I was just like, I realized, oh my gosh, when faced with danger, I won't fight. I won't run. I will just, you know, kind of surrender. That was kind of scary for me. You, on the other hand, went into fight. I mean, you were going to protect me. You were going to,
1: It's interesting because those are those survival mechanisms. It was a value too, because I remember there was this moment where I looked at you and this guy was kind of, because these were really tall guys or three guys and you and I are not, we're not blessed with height, but we're blessed with might. But, um, (laughs) and I remember just thinking, well, if I'm going to go, I'm not going to go just standing here watching my friend get hurt. And I was just like all in. And that was something I really tapped into I was like, okay. But what was interesting is some of our mutual guy friends kind of, I felt a little shame because they said, oh, if it was just Rebecca, she never would have been mugged. There was almost mm. this sense like, she's so tough. You know what I mean? Like, like my strength was a repellent and that's it, been an interesting dance where people are drawn and repelled by strength. So yeah, I think that was an interesting time where I started to own that. And, but yeah, that was a clear moment. It was like, it was almost like I could just hear kind of this, <laughs> this God moment of like, if you're going to go. Yeah. Let's you know and I just didn't I'm like you were getting hurt and I was like screw this <laughs> excuse yeah. me but yeah so yeah but you're right about the fight and connecting it to producing and productivity I'm just getting a handle of downshifting it's like okay because I think even in one of our conversations maybe this year you're like Rebecca you don't always have to be improving you are enough now and it was like oh yeah like it's like I never want to settle Like, I like Mm -hmm. what's and and I'm like, oh, geez, I've breathed in what so many of the leaders I work with and so many of the clients I work with Mm -hmm. and in my clinical work that when am I enough? I'm like, oh, shoot, my enough, it was there when I was born. And so, how to like separate that from I still want to refine and grow and push, but then even that can be its own drug of choice for me. And I have to sit with the discomfort of just. Being, you know, and so I'm really trying to pay attention to that because I love to do and create and push and challenge, but then at what expense to myself, my well being, the most important relationships and rest and play, those things that I used to laugh at, like, oh, rest and play. That's for the those wimpy folks that need to, like, this is my life, my work. Oh my gosh, it's embarrassing that I think about it. But you know me then. So yeah, it, and yeah. it still comes up every now and then too.
0: Well, this is the whole, this whole series, each of these, this productivity, whatever you want to call it, has its strengths. And I Mm -hmm. see to this day those strengths in you. You are going to show up. You've shown up for me at times when I'm like, you shouldn't be showing up for me. (laughs) You know, you're tired. (laughs) Like, you know, like as your friend, I know this about you. you. will show up, you know, even when you're exhausted and, you know, excellence, justice, you know, all of these things are really beautiful, good qualities. And I think that's what's really hard about these parts of us because and there's a cost. There's a big as you cost. Said. there's a cost. We have to balance them out. And so again, going back to this moment, we've kind of been circling around it, but there's this moment where there's a physical, you're walking into your therapist's right. office in crutches, right? And and she says, It's yes. good to see you leaning on something, right? And and again, even today, I could you know, I could see in your face, you're like shaking your head at yourself, like, yeah, yep. took that. And even then, I know there was still many more, but it it took that almost physicalizing something yeah. embodied to slow down just a little bit, which was still not quite easy for you.
1: And parenthood was the other kind of big catalyst because for a while then, I was finding work and family were like at war with each other and like, oh, and I'm like, that's not working. And so a few years ago, I really wanted to say, okay, my loves, the, my, my what I love to do and to, to give, to serve, to work, and my family are going to be on the same team. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pivot them against each other. But that's when I started realizing if anything is taking me away from being the best partner, the best parent, and the best friend that I want to be and, and community member, I need to rethink this because work was and producing was trumping it all. And it was so reflexive.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about that as a parent? How did you begin to notice that? What are some examples of when you notice, oh my gosh, the reflexive instinct here is, is something I've got to start to pay attention to?
1: Yeah. It's something that my husband, Gavin, and I talked about early on. He knows that I love to just create and build and try and do new things. I, I didn't. He knew it more about me than I did. It was like a few years into the marriage. And I'm like, I think I'm an entrepreneur. And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, really? <laughs> and then with kids, having kids, I realized many folks who've grown up in homes where there are a lot of challenges. I know for me going into parenthood, I knew more what I didn't want to do than what I did. I had, you know, so I had a lot of things to learn there too. And so the energy of, oh, and then being a trained psychotherapist with the trauma, <laughs> specialty I was like oh it's all about presence and so how am I showing up with my littles how am I showing up with myself and I can't do that if I'm spinning out and running around and then I started recognizing oh okay and so it's just in navigating that and especially as they got a little bit older and I, I mean I love the some people have different phases they love for those who parent or care give or are step parents I mean my kids are in the preteen and teen and this is my my sweet spot but also just those moments of being with. And I that's when I had to slow down. And then all of a sudden stuff came up. But it also was like, oh, I want to do things differently. And I can't do it all. I started realizing my capacities. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when we're in our 20s, it feels like we can just do about anything when you're blessed with physical ability and health. You know, you do that. And then just the fatigue and I my oldest daughter's on the autism spectrum. And there were some other things coming around that. And I got really protective there. And so I realized, okay, if this is a priority to create the home and the safe space that I wanted for them, then I needed to make some shifts in what I was valuing, what I was worshiping unintentionally and starting to really redefine what producing and productivity were. And so, yeah, I'm still entangling it from it all, but it's having kids was the next phase of that awakening.
0: I always love how intentional you are about those things. You become aware, you get intentional, you get the resources that you need. But I can't imagine in the context of the childhood trauma, the history around which this beautiful, again, entrepreneurial, creative, productive, can-do woman that God made you to be, right? This is this is good. This This is a good part of you. But yet some of these ways in which it got... Extreme yeah. out of a context of trying it was your way out of pain for those yeah. early years, right? So again, at every moment, and we know this to be true, that that when we step back a little bit, whether it's the pleasing, the perfecting, the performing, whatever it is, things come up because we do those things for a reason. And so you have the value, you're like, I, I want to be present for my kids. I know this is important. I've got to shift my relationship to work, to producing. What came up for you and how did you care for yourself as you made that shift? Because I think that's why it's hard for people to change and to yeah. shift is things come up for us. For me, if I shift away from a little bit of that people-pleasing drive and over time, you know, I, I'm aware of it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's why I do it because it's scary. Yeah. There's stuff under the hood there. Have you checked out the Raising Boys and Girls podcast hosted by Sissy Goff, David Thomas, and Melissa Trevathan? They are three counselors who are serving kids and their parents in the Nashville, Tennessee area. In each episode of this podcast, they share some of what they're learning in the work they do with kids and families on a daily basis. Their goal is to help you parents. Care for your kids with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. Episodes are released every Tuesday, and you can find more information at raisingboysandgirls dot com backslash podcast.
1: It took me you know, a good chunk of years to untangle myself from a lot of commitments and spaces and, and things that I developed, but I realized I needed to simplify. And I got really picky on what I was giving my attention to and who I was giving my attention to. Mm-hmm. And that felt important. And that's, it's still a challenge. And, you know, I've had many a conversation about social media on that area too, but it involved a lot of reorganization with who was our inner circle. What does support look like for me? And, and I found a lot of support in the workspaces, but I was, you know, diving deep into Brene Brown's Daring Way community. So I'm a, I'm a certified facilitator and also a consultant and I've done trainings for them. So like, but to do that work, you have to, it's like the self of therapist. And with IFS, it's the same thing. You, it's, it's a way of living, um, shame, resilience IFS they're a way of living and being and so I was drawn to these methodologies that weren't just frameworks that I could teach I had to live it if I was going to be a decent model for this for anyone else who was wanting to learn it so it was this intuitive being drawn to the things that we needed to learn for ourselves and so I was learning what I needed to learn also to help others learn it too so these communities that I'm a part of professionally Kind of became this space, hmm. but at the same time, in my personal life, my husband and I had to get rid or do a big reorg because we realized, well, to have a, our home be safe, it meant setting tougher boundaries, maybe with folks who felt entitled to our family because of being related or, you know, proximity or whatever, and being intentional about who we sought out. And that's that's hard. It's harder to make friends and build community in that post kind of college era, Mm -hmm. because everyone is so full and and their schedules. And I think that's the other thing too, is I try not to say busy. I don't want to be busy. I want my life to be full of things that I love and that are aligned. And I know that's a privilege and a gift. And sometimes we got to just do the things because we got to do the things and adulting is what it is. But that became, that's become part of it too. And I had to really I had to do a lot of work with some of the voices I internalized of who do you think you are to be fill in the blank, Mm. you know? And I came from a family where there's a lot of brilliant, talented people, but everyone was siloed to their one thing. And then either this person's this, so that means you can't be that too. And Mm. I am a multiplicity of talents and gifts and things, but I didn't pursue them because that wasn't nurtured because I wasn't tapped with that. And so part of parenthood helped me discover that too, because there's that that thing awakened, that kind of mama bear for me uh, awakened. And but again, it took me quite a while to detangle (laughs) Mm that when so when COVID hit, I had I've been feeling for a while to simplify and began the process of scaling back and released the brick and mortar that I'd been running and the team of 10 that I'd been leading and started, you know, this business to help with leadership, coaching, and consulting, which I've been dreaming about and working on for years before that, but solidified that so I could be home Mm -hmm. um, as my kids were getting older. But it's tricky, Allison. I still struggle to rest well, and I'm really trying to build in practices because, and I'm trying to check myself on what's the meaning and motivation of what's going on in my head. Am I trying to create or build or cultivate something out of protection and fear? Or is it something that's coming up that I, it's almost like, it's like, I can't not get it out. And that's what I've seen with other projects I've done. I have to just write it out or create it or sketch it out. And so I'm trying to get, be better discerning of that and really try, trying to like butt on the couch, watching a show, reading a mm-hmm. book, sketching, journaling, getting outside, just slowing that down. Um, because I do love what I do, but I, I'm I'm starting to see if I, I don't have to keep you know that drive that as a young kid that helped me. I got to do something different. I got to find other mentors or other resources. That younger part can still kind of show up if she gets scared and feels disconnected from me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how does she, that younger part of you, as you kind of rumble with this idea of rest? Yeah. How does she experience rest and play?
1: Mm. Okay. She's a real goofball and <laughs> like a real dork. And. My kids don't always enjoy her, but I do. And so I'll let, and I enjoy seeing my kids get annoyed with me or roll their eyes. And I have to watch that because I can push it a little much because it's so entertaining. But yeah, I'm just a goofball. I just, I lose that place when I let myself just let her lead a little bit. I'm not caring what other people think. It's awkward dance parties singing at the top of my lungs. It's not editing myself. Or on the other hand, it's a deep place of deep listening and curiosity. I'm in like just a radical presence of oh my gosh, a new person, a new story, a new thing to learn. And it's like kind of sitting sitting crisscross applesauce around this t- like ooh, tell me more. And there's just this joy. I love learning from other people and just listening to their stories that just delights my system because that little girl likes to see herself in other stories or to have, she gets a lot of perspective from others lived experiences. I love that because I think especially for
0: producers, I I love that you're touching on this idea of rest. Rest is hard for a couple of reasons. Some of it is the self-imposed like. It sounds weak. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds weak. Some of it is there's a lot of energy. I know when I kind of tap into the the young kind of producer, performer in me, she's just full of energy. You know, she wants to move, right? She wants yep. to move. And so I've had to think about rest in a different way. Yep. And that's what I'm kind of hearing you say. Rest for her. That's why I was curious. What Rest for her isn't necessarily putting her nose in a book. It might be, but it also, I had to learn that rest doesn't necessarily mean sitting still in a quiet room. Uh -uh. rest for me might be a lot of movement, but just movement that's fun and playful. And there's a lot of different ways we can rest.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's Tahoe for me, Lake Tahoe, which we discovered. I'm in San Diego now and I've lived in the Midwest and the East Coast and lived in Europe. And so Tahoe is this beautiful kind of mixture of some of the most significant parts of my life. And lake life is different than ocean life and um, has a different energy to it. There's a stillness inside, even when my body's moving in nature, or when I am just listening to others. I, I going to my Sunday school, just one of my spiritual practices, and just listening, really watching my judges or my defenders come up because it's this beautifully, it's diverse in theology and political orientation and socioeconomic status it's not very diverse in race necessarily but it's this place that helps get me out of my polarities and so these parts kind of all come with me and listen and come and we kind of we don't break bread together but I, we, we we're talking about the word and and my Sunday school teacher will stir things up and then uh, parts of me are just like my know-it-all parts my I want to teach parts my defense parts and then then there's just those little girls it's like oh what do they think and what do they think or ooh, that wasn't very nice to say <laughs> you know and you know so you know and just kind of sitting with that and delighting but they mm-hmm. you know it really has been good to be in community to and get out of you know sometimes the bubbles and the work zones that we can be in and the echo chambers so there's it's maybe rest isn't the best word for it but that spiritual practice of just kind of rubbing shoulders with people and being in community that's not about creating and producing and productivity and being identified by whatever titles or letters by my name it's you know, we are connecting and coming together. That fills my cup. It's life-giving, even, even when it's a little hard, if that makes sense too.
0: I love that. The word that comes to mind is curiosity. When you're just given permission to just be curious and just be present without it having means. to be anybody or do anything, but just, and again, oh, yeah. that's that's energizing. It's life-giving. And that might not fit that classical definition of rest. But for you, it's it's giving yourself the young one inside of you instead of producing or performing or earning her worth. She just gets to kind of, I, I get this picture of her just curious George, you know, just super curious and enjoying that, delighting in that. And
1: what I've seen, especially with the leaders that I most admire and the leaders that I get to work with, they're the ones that detox From the very dangerous personal and professional development messages that we've all been sold and breathed in over the years about pushing through and exiling our pain and overcoming and all of that stuff, right? It's like once a bit, and then coasting, it's just, it's so full of privilege and power over and not full of that consent of those different parts of us that just tend to be seen. And the leaders that I'm drawn to and the leader that I want to be is definitely one that's able to sit with a lot more of that presence and that curiosity and owning my, sitting with my discomfort in the presence of someone else's discomfort. And Mm. I can't do that if I'm trying to fix, strategize, mobilize, organize. I can't. And so I'm finally getting it. I mean, I've read that. I've been taught that. And now it's starting to metabolize in my system <laughs> more and integrate. Mm. Um, and I think that's the gift of age, honestly. I, I think that's you know taken me a while to work through that. And I think that's the gift of feeling a little bit more settled in that. But I'm also seeing it with my kids though, too. My kids are not, they're not. They don't have all that stuff Yeah, They're, they're carrying a lot <laughs> from the times they've grown up. But when I see them listening, when I see them learning, I see them asking questions with abandon and a lack of self-consciousness, you know, I just, that's, that's beautiful. I didn't have that as a kid. So seeing leaders who can create spaces for real sharing,
0: mm-hmm. for
1: a welcoming of the mess and and the imperfection too, and for collective struggle. Mm-hmm. I was always taught that I had to do this on my own, the lone wolf, right? The the very individualistic way of surviving and excelling was, mm-hmm. you know, but I, you know, there's no eye on team. And it's just cheesy as that is, I just I forgot that for a long time because that's what I needed to do to survive and to be able to do something different. And so when I am producing at the expense of connecting or really the presence of witnessing someone. That does harm, and I've done that. And I, and again, untangling from that—not intentional, but still, the impact's not great. But Mm -hmm. when we're raised with, "Oh, you're producing, you're doing so much, you're so great," you just kind of go into automatic pilot. But we lose touch with who's in front of us.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love the picture of. (laughs) It's interesting because you've told me a lot about that Sunday school class, and I never really pieced it together before that. But for you being there. And giving yourself permission to be with all that's going on there without needing to take over, take charge, strategize, teach, instruct, just be with is a spiritual it. practice for you. That makes so much sense to me. And it's kind of being part of a community because being part of a community, when you're used to being an achiever, a producer, it, it can feel inefficient. It can feel, at least to me, it can feel inefficient. It can feel messy, like you're saying, but I love almost the spiritual practice of being with, just watching, noticing. And even what you were saying, It, it there was that different energy. It's not judging, it's not criticizing, it's like, oh, that wasn't nice. You know, just how kids are, right? When they just kind of say <laughs> yeah. what's true, you know, without their, they're just
1: like, oh, ouch, you know? Yeah. And, and saying that, hey, I noticed in me when that was said, this is what that brought up versus you need to stop this if you were really a good Christian. And, and I think that's the kind of like that circular leadership where the power is more egalitarian versus that hierarchical that you and I were raised on you know, on so many levels. And this top down, it's just got me rethinking. It's about power too. There's so much about power because I felt like I was so powerless as a kid and I had to do whatever I could to maintain some level of my own sense of power or to re- reclaim it. Mm-hmm. And I think now more than ever with people, there's a so much hurt, so much polarizations and so much pain that it's, that's where it's like, okay, that's the call on us to be able to sit with our discomfort So that we can sit with others, and I know that I can go into that, you know, produce slash perform. I can put the smile on. I know how to appease. You and I both are probably we got PhDs in appeasing, (laughs) also, you know. And so, but also just also to be real and just to. So I think that's that's the work. And so there's something about rest that's very much connected in me being seen and me being present me witnessing myself and what's going on with me and allowing others to see that outside of my identities that are related to work or producing.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, it just kind of, this is exactly this whole series, right? It's moving from managing the perceptions, going in, I'll be the can-do person here, which is exhausting for me and doesn't really lead me to the connections I so deeply need. And again, just that picture of you sitting in that circle with the freedom to say, oh, that didn't sit well with me. There's so many ways we can be authentic. We can be real. We can speak on behalf of what we're noticing inside of us. And you're doing such a good job, Rebecca. Of, it's all the stuff we talk about. It's It starts with being curious and compassionate with all of our own internal similarities, with it's all ground zero. the things that go on inside of us. And that's what enables us to show up with other people and sit with all that's going on in that room. All that's going on with our kids, all that's going on in our families, all that's going on in our church groups, whatever the room is, the not world. in the world, <laughs> yeah. not silencing, not fleeing, you know, not no. not fleeing, not just caving or fawning, which was my go-to, not needing to fight or
1: lead or take charge.
0: Not everything right?
1: has to be a dang fight or debate.
0: <laughs> yes. yes, but simply <laughs> being present, and that's where we start to feel real connection You know, we build that safety inside of ourselves that allows us to be in a room where we don't require perfection to feel safe. We need enough. You know, we need a critical mass of safety, sure. But then we can be in that room and be present to ourselves, present to others with that same curiosity and compassion.
1: Can I add one more thing, though? I think that's important to this, too, for me for so long, too. I I was raised in a mixed-faith home but didn't really start my own faith journey until the end of high school. And for so long, the messages I got around faith was if you believed, then life was good. You had If you had faith and if things were struggling, I was doing something wrong. And so that message played upon my producing and performing <laughs> and productivity parts like, oh, if there's struggle, then I got to figure out what flaw is in me. You know, like mm-hmm. this deficiency, you know, versus kind of the more Amago Day model of really seeing myself as an image bearer and those around me as an image bearer, you know, regardless of even how they identified in their faith journey. And so for me, there was a, a lot of that unhooking of some of those messages that I had to produce or kind of this image of if I, I am going to be a success, I have to have it all together and I can't show the underbelly of my humanity. And I'm not saying like all the things all the time for like some things are just sacred yeah. and, pri- and private, but I had to start owning it myself. And I was, I was exiling my story because it didn't fit this narrative of what it meant to be a good follower of Christ. And so that was also a big part for me to allow myself to, to downshift and to be able to find more rest when I realized to lean into, you know, what, what, what God said to Jesus right after he was baptized, right? You are my beloved and with you I am well pleased. This was right after he was baptized, but not before he to at least what we're what we know of all the miracles, all the things he did. You are my beloved and with you I am well pleased. That was right after the I was like, okay. So there's something about that that started to it took a while to metabolize too. But I think that plays a role in it for me and my journey too.
0: Yeah, we can Christianize our hustle. I hear you on that. And I think that's a really good word. There's a lot of layers there. Thank you so much for for that. I'm curious, what would you want to say that younger you, whether it's the, you know, 15-year-old absorbing all of those tropes about the lone wolf shoulder pad wearing female
1: hero, you know, what would you say to her now? I would say you probably aren't going to take this in, but this doesn't have to be the path and I'm here for you when you're ready to listen. Cause I wouldn't have listened. I just, I just like know her. I should have been, you know, I, I'm a redhead and I live up to the stereotype of stubbornness. <laughs> but I just would have said, I'm here. I'm here a little sooner, maybe to her. Just like there are other ways when you figure it out that this isn't working, you don't have to, you don't have to keep pushing one result or one outcome. And I'm here to listen and I'm here to, to be with you when you're ready. Sounds like wise parenting.
0: Right. The non shame based, non power over, just I see what's happening. (laughs) I know you. And I'm here when When you're you're ready ready. to listen. When you're ready to listen. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. What would you like to say to others who are listening, who Mm. struggle with producing, performing for their worth? I'm here
1: for you when you're ready to, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I see you. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> There's another way, you know, I guess depending on where you're at in, in kind of your relationship and your awareness of all this, just to know that there is another way and that you this is said a lot, but your worth is never on the table for negotiation. We get, we're the ones that put it on the table for others mm-hmm. to have an opinion on it and to appraise us. And that reclaiming that is one of the scariest and most empowering things you'll ever do Mm. is detaching from the world's having an opinion on you and your worth and your faith and your identity, you know, as a human, as a follower of Christ, whatever it is you may be doing. And that's the work. And to be so picky on who you allow to have a say into your life and what you are allowed to have a say, be discerning, not out of fear, because and and to stay to have an open but guarded heart in the process too. And I will say, girlfriends for me, friends are the best. If you're a female listening to this, I mean, Allison, I mean, our you know reconnecting after all our years, and and our conversations have been medicine to my soul. Just to be able to, there's a, the most integrated conversation. So finding. One or two people that you can really show up and not edit mm-hmm. is the beginning, you know, where you're not filtering and just saying the things mm. <laughs> and getting seen and loved in that place is really a powerful, powerful and, and healing place to be. I love that. And just that reminder,
0: it's it's quality, not quantity when oh. it comes to those key friends, that those unedited friendships. It doesn't have to be a ton. One is life changing. You got it. Rebecca, thank you so much just for being so honest and so real. I know we've kind of barely scratched the surface. This is a hard, if you've been someone who just feels that tension in your body, of I can get the job done, it's a hard journey. It's a long journey to begin to release. And it doesn't mean you stop being productive. You're one of the most productive people I know. It means you relate to how you show up as a productive person in a different way. Tell us what's bringing out the best
1: of you right now. I mean some of this is cheesy like being instead of doing, being with mm. instead of doing for. My word of the year or words of the year slow and bold and slow so slowing down and not overcommitting my schedule has been a beast to detangle. And then being bold in that place, I think people, like I said, my friendship with you, my relationship with my family, my Sunday school, my neighbors, my mom friends. And I honestly, I've always valued this. You know this about me, but being around folks who have different views on things is a huge value of mine. I've had it from a young age, whether it's different faith, political worldview, Mm -hmm. you name it. I I just, I think that brings out the best of me so that I don't get into my head or I'm always challenging my beliefs so that either I know I need to rethink them or I feel more anchored in what I believe. So I'm always, that's kind of where the produce, I can always want to be pursuing and refining, Mm -hmm. but I think that that's important. And I honestly, like many people I work with, it took, I knew who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to value and what I was supposed to do. Mm And it's just taking me a while to figure out who I am, what I really love, what really matters, what's kind of, uh, you know, out of the heart flows the wellspring of life, those desires of our heart that I squelch down to try and fit in. And so I really just think taking that time to be with people, books, TV shows, experiences, live music is my love language right now. <laughs> and that, that where I go, okay, I, I like me. I connect with me. I'm proud. When we walk away from people or experiences where we feel less than or smaller. It's amazing what we tolerate, mm-hmm. Allison. Mm-hmm. It is amazing what we tolerate in the name of things that we've deemed good. But, you know, just stop tolerating. i just stop tolerating mm. and speaking truth to BS and speaking truth to BS with love. Mm. I love that. What needs and desires are you working to protect? You know, I think it's a real, <laughs> there's something about, you know, getting older but my needs and desires to be present with my family, with the clients that have invested their trust in me and treasured friendships, my health, you know, and my calendar. I am trying to create more space in my calendar. That's my word for 2023 is space, mm-hmm. space and pace, which is, you know, me. that's going to be an adventure.
0: Wait, you went from slow and bold this year to space and pace next year?
1: That's the fruits of this year. Yeah, is now... Yeah. Trying not to overcommit because there's the big things I want to create and I want to do. And I realized I have lived outside of my margin and my capacity for so long. Being a high producer, just like many of the clients I work with, we don't know we're in crisis and we're overwhelmed to we're hanging off the cliff by a pinky. Mm -hmm. And even then we're just like, oh, my pinky's sore. We don't really, versus we're hanging off the cliff. That's, so I I don't want to be that way anymore. So I'm protecting, I don't want to, the full body sacrifice is not okay. Unless it's I mean, again, like I said, I'll jump in. If you're getting mugged, I'll jump in. You know, if if I know you and I'm there, I will jump in. That's a certain kind of full body sacrifice. But the day to day of because of the grind of culture and the shoulds and the have tos that aren't aligned with values. No, that take me away from the most important relationships. I am fighting for that. I love that. And also because you are someone who's so
0: whole body, all in, all the more reason, (laughs) the space and pace is needed to protect, right? Because you will be that person. I've said it time you, you will show up. I know you will. Therefore, <laughs> you have to make sure you're protecting that space. How can people find you, Rebecca, connect with you,
1: your podcast? Yeah, they can. Wherever you love to listen to podcasts, you can subscribe to The Unburdened Leader, and if you listen and are impacted by an episode, I'd be honored for you to Leave a review and a comment. I want to hear from you. You can also follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Ching MFT or sign up for my weekly unburdened leader email at www.rebeccaching.com. Thank you so much
0: for being here. You're the best.
1: Uh, It's been an honor, my friend. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Best of You. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. You can find those on my website at drallisoncook.com. That's allison with one L, cook.com. Before you forget, I hope you'll follow the show now so that you don't miss an episode. And I'd love it if you'd go ahead and leave a review. It helps so much to get the word out. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, You honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.